All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, come on, let's make some noise one more time for Jesus. Come on, man. We're so grateful to be in the house, to honor his presence, to celebrate a good God. Can we welcome our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg? It's good to have you guys, man, worshiping with us as well. We love all of you. Again, all of our VIPs, all of you joining us online. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here at Faith Church, and it's an honor and a privilege to have you, whether you're live in the house or joining us online, or you're going to watch this later in the week. Either way, we are glad you're with us. We say it every week that we believe that Jesus, come on, is the hope of the world. And there is no time that we need more hope than we need right now. Come on, somebody. Does anybody here believe that? We need some hope in Jesus. So we are starting a brand new series today, again, entitled November. Everybody say November. But you got to hit those first two letters, November. Come on, everybody say that, November. November. Again, we're going to go through some topics and Here's really the challenge is if you think about it each and every day as we walk through life, there are consistent things that we say yes and no to. Sometimes we say it verbally, but most of the time it's just a quick subconscious decision to say yes or to say no. We maybe say yes or no to all kinds of things. And when you think about the things that you're saying yes or no to on a consistent basis, what you have to know is that your yeses and your nos, ultimately they determine the direction and the momentum of your life. That if you're saying no to the wrong things or the right things, you're saying yes to the wrong things or the right things, they're ultimately determining where you're headed in life and how quick you're going to get there. Right? Do you hit the snooze button in the morning, yes or no? Do you, come on, everybody's like, we're already out. Come on, we got an extra hour of sleep, everybody. Come on. Hate it when we lose it, love it when we get it. Do we say yes or do we say no to the donut? Do we say yes or to no to going to the gym? Do we say yes or no to spending time in prayer with Jesus? Do we say yes or no with uh, telling our, our driver on the side of the road beside us that we didn't agree with their driving habits, that they're number one? Do we say yes or no? Do we say yes or no to giving it all we have in the workplace? Do we say yes or no to ethics and business deals? Do we say yes or no to studying for the test? Do we say yes or no for cheating on the test? Do we say yes or no? Like everything we're doing in life is a yes or a no, and it's the determining the direction and the momentum of our life. And so I thought it would just be a good idea for the next couple weeks during the month of November that we talk about November and some things that I think we ought to make the decision to say no to. And so as we jump into week number one, I think it's really important as we are just a few days from a national election that we need to say no to our rights and say yes to our responsibilities. Now, Lawrenceburg and Florence, I don't expect you to clap yet because I know you're like, wait a minute, you just said say no to rights. I'm not even on board yet. Just hang with me. How many people are maybe excited about this election? Like this election fires you up and like you're all about it. Anybody, raise your hand like I'm fired up. How many people just, you're out. This election, you're over it. You're beyond it. You're not for the drama of it. How many people are just beyond it? Like, let me, so you're not sure what side I'm on. I'm I'm out. Like, there was a time I, I really enjoyed, uh, I don't know if really enjoyed, but I didn't mind politics. I didn't mind watching presidential debates. I didn't mind watching two candidates share their ideas, share their party's political platform, and talk about and debate and say, if I'm elected, this is what I'll do. And something happened, I don't know, four or five elections ago, and things just got worse than they ever got. And as a nation, things got very contentious and challenging. When George W. was elected a second time. Just the nation just started shifting, and there was so much division. And 
when Barack Obama was elected the first time, I remember talk in Christian circles that he was the Antichrist, and he was elected a second time, and then like Trump made it, and people lost their mind. And it seems like now every, every election gets more contentious and more, more agonizing as a nation. And I think what makes, makes it so challenging, especially now, this time, is because the pain is, is brought on because of division. Right? There's so much division in this nation, and we have to wonder, like, can we ever get back that we're one nation united? Is, is that even possible? And if, if I'm honest, as I stand here, it's very hard to see. We're so divided across political lines and racial lines, and yeah. like, I mean, it's just so hard to see, and I, I'm just over it. But I think all of us, and as we tackle today and we get into this difficult topic, I think as we talk about politics and the reason the pain of division is so real is because if they could just see it. I think that's how we feel when we stand and we look at our perspective, like, and we look at people that disagree with us. We think if they could just see it. If they could just see that abortion isn't a woman's right, it's killing a baby. If they could just see it. If they could just see that taking young children that were brought into this country by their parents and shifting them back to a nation they don't remember, that's inhumane. If they could just see it. If they could just see that higher corporate taxes works against job creation. If they could just see it. If they could just see that minimum wage isn't a living wage. Like if they could just see it. And the challenge for us is we, we just are so convinced that what we see is right. And the challenge I think all of us need to realize is that while what you see makes sense to you because it's your perspective, your viewpoint isn't the only viewpoint. Hence the word division. The word division, the prefix die, vision, means separate visions. You see what you see because it's from your perspective, and other people see what they see because it's from their perspective, and we all have a different viewpoint and a different perspective based on where you're living, where you're sitting, the race you come from, the, the side of town you came from, where you went to school, did you go to school, how much money you made. Like, everybody has a different perspective. That's why we are divided, because we have more than one vision about what we're looking at and how we are seeing it. Yeah. And what's... Right? I mean, think about it. We have, we have different police views. We have different mass views, different pandemic views, different education views, different health views. And we all have different views. No matter where you're at, if I sat down and shared all of my views with you and you shared all of your views with me, it's highly unlikely we would all share the same views. So we're divided. We have multiple views looking at the same subject, the same issue. And what's really challenging is if we're just honest as Christians, and let me just stop and say this, if you're watching this, I generally, anytime I stand on this platform, I try to talk to people no matter where they're at, whether they're a Christian or not. I'm just going to tell you today is a strictly Christian message. But if you're watching this and you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, don't tune out because at least my promise, my challenge to you is what I'm going to talk about is what you should be able to expect from Christians. So quiet today. You can hear a pin drop. Because I think what's even worse than the mentality that all of us have, including me, is if they could just see it. I think what makes it even worse is we think this. If they could just see it because Jesus is for it. Whatever the, it is, 
I've never met a Christian that held a specific political viewpoint and didn't also believe about that specific political viewpoint that Jesus wasn't for it too. Like, we are all convinced that Jesus is on our political platform, that if Jesus showed up, he would be Republican. I mean, that's just like, you can take that to the bank. There's no, there's no doubt Jesus is a Democrat. Jesus is a libertarian. Like, we're just so convinced. I read on a website, this is, this is true, as I was going through, this didn't have anything to do with my prep time. Just on a website, this popped up, three different articles on the same webpage. Here's the titles of them. Are you ready? Why Christians should vote for neither candidate. <laughs> Second article, the Christian case for Joe Biden. The third article, of course, Christians should vote for Trump. Isn't that crazy? How you can take different candidates, different perspectives, and so many of us as Christ followers of people of faith is we tie our political viewpoints to our faith. And we, are, we can stand so passionately about our political position because we're convinced it's Jesus' political position. And I'm just here to tell you something. Listen, man, we just got to go down in this rabbit hole because, again, we are divided as a nation. And while my job in, in this world is not so much, I want to impact this world. I want to grow the body of Christ. I want to grow the church. In order for us to grow the church, we have to grow up. And if we're going to grow up, we have to be the people God's called us to be, which means sometimes we got to change our perspective. If that means even changing our political viewpoint, come on, somebody, that's the direction we have to go. And so why, why? Is this current climate so challenging? Why is it, again, if, if, if maybe you're Gen Z and this is maybe the first election you're participating in, maybe you think this is natural. This just hasn't always been. It just keeps getting worse, keeps getting more divided. And I think one of the reasons that it's more so now than ever is for this reason right here, that politics are driven by panic. Modern politics in America are driven by panic and fear. You say, what do you mean? It's because there used to be a time when a political candidate would get up and say, if you give me your vote, this is what I'll do for you. Now politics get up and point at each other and say, if you elect him, this is what he's going to take from you. This is what he's going to do to you. If she gets an office, if they get an office, if, that pre if Biden gets in, if Trump gets in, this is what he's going to do for you. And we are so, we're tied and we love our rights and we're thankful for, we're thankful for the Bill of Rights. Come on, I'm, I'm thankful. Is anybody here thankful that we have the freedom of speech? I can say whatever I want about your Facebook posts and all the worst you can do is dislike me or unfriend me, but I can still say it and not go to jail. Come on. Like, we love that. We love freedom of speech. We love freedom of assembly. There are some churches around the world, they can't get together and assemble. They got to apply for a permit to the government. Freedom of religion, I can believe whatever I want. I can worship Jesus, I can worship a tree, or I can be an atheist. Government has no say in that. We have freedom of religion. We are thankful and passionate for our rights. And because we're passionate for our rights, we want to protect our rights. And the challenge is this current political environment is stoking panic and fear about our political positions, and it's causing us to scramble because the last thing we want is somebody to come along and take our rights. And we're so committed to our rights and so committed to our viewpoint because, of course, it's Jesus' viewpoint. How dare he, how dare they come and try to threaten taking my health care, taking my right to an education, taking my freedom of speech, taking my right to religion? How can we do that? And so we're so driven by panic. I never thought I would quote Yoda on a Sunday morning, but I think he chimes in pretty strong at this point. Fear. 
it's the path to the dark side. <laughs> I got to bring some levity in the room. It's hot. Seriously, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. Uh, you may be mad at me that I'm cold. I'll, I'll get to the Bible. Don't worry. All the religious people are like, oh, my gosh. I'll get to Jesus. But can you see that happening, that fear, like that's the path we're on as people, that's the path we're on as a nation, is, is politics are threatening to take our rights, and because we don't want anybody taking our rights, we're getting in panic and fear because we're getting in panic and fear. That panic is leading, that fear is leading to anger. I'm mad at you. If you don't hold my position, then how dare you, and I don't agree with you, and now I'm divided from you, and that anger is ultimately leading to suffering in this nation. If anybody's going to turn the tide, if anybody's going to change the shift, it is Jesus and his church on planet earth we have to be the light of the world we have to determine a different direction and we do it by saying yes and no to the right things well what is it that we need to say yes and no to in november i'm not here to tell you who to vote for that's your right as an american citizen and while you have a right to your rights here's what you need to hear today as we step into week number one and we talk about this incredibly difficult topic is our rights as american citizens are second to our responsibilities as Christ's disciples. That's a great place to clap right there. That means anytime there's a conflict between your political position and your faith, we have to go the route of faith. Anytime there is a challenge between Christ and civics, you got to pick Christ. Now, again, what's so hard is we've married our politics and our political viewpoint to our faith but ultimately, those, those perspectives, you can't take any political platform and lay it against the Bible and it lines up perfectly. It just doesn't. So at some point, we got to pull back and say, well, what are our responsibilities? And so I could really talk about this topic. I could spend the entire month on this, but I thought for, for today, going into this week as we step into the voting booths, going into this coming year as we manage whatever happens, newsflash, your candidate may not make it in. I don't know if you guys are geared up for this, but we're not going to wake up Wednesday morning to a president. Y'all know that, right? We're going to wake up to chaos in this nation. Somebody has to choose to be the light. Someone has to choose to be the voice of reason. Someone has to be the one throwing water on the fire and not gas on the fire. Someone has to be the one speaking faith. Someone has to be the one pulling people together. Someone has to be, somebody has to be the one. And so my job today is to make sure that we are those ones. And so I feel like we have two responsibilities. Again, we have rights, and I'm thankful for our rights, but our responsibilities as Christ's disciples, I think to this subject are two. Nothing you've not heard before. But let's dig into it. Number one, I think our responsibility, more importantly than our rights, is to love all people. Everybody say all people. all people. Think of a person, even the person you don't like. Maybe you're married to them. Maybe you're related to them. Maybe it's your mother-in-law. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your opposing political candidate. Whoever you can think of that you like the least fits in the category of all people. That our call as Christ's disciples is to love all people people. And if there is a conflict between your passion for politics and your passion for people, our passion for people wins. 
Here's what Jesus had to say. He was having a conversation with this religious teacher of the law. And this teacher of the law comes to Jesus and he says this in Matthew chapter 22. He says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? He's saying, he's saying there's 613 commands in the Old Testament. Like, which is the most important? And when you hear the most important law, I want you to hear what's most important to God. What did God, what is, out of all the things you've called us to do, out of all the things you've commanded us to do, what's the most important thing to God? Isn't that a great question to ask? Like, hey, what's the most important thing? Well, Jesus, I love it. He answers it. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. So the most important thing to God is that we love him. And not just with our thoughts, but with all that we are, our actions, our attitudes, our habits, our heart, all of it, we're all in on God. Is anybody here all in on God? Come on. But then he says this, Jesus doesn't stop. He goes on, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Everybody say equally important. Come on, Lawrenceburg, say equally important. So he says, hey, you just asked me for one, but I can't really sufficiently answer the question of what's most important to God unless I give you really two because they're equally important. They're the same. And one is to love God. And he says, he says this, he says, and the second is equally important to love your neighbor as yourself. So here's Jesus. He's saying, hey, as you maneuver through your faith and we think our faith is all about our relationship this way, he says, you can't discount from God's perspective to us as his creation and as his kids. It's not just how we love this way, but God says it's equally important. What's most important to God is how we love this way. It's not just our vertical relationship. It's our horizontal relationships. And it's not just with the people we already like and love, already with our family members and, and our besties and our homeboys and homegirls and our wives and our kids. He said, no, all people, if you're a Republican, the Democrat people, if you're white, the black people, if you're right, I mean, if you're, I mean, like wherever you pick it, if you're rich, the poor people, the poor, the rich, like wherever you are, whatever your position is, he says, your call is to love all people and not just love them, love them equally for yourself. What that means is that we demand the same treatment for others as we demand for ourselves. And man, this is hard. Again, because we get caught up in politics and we get passionate about the wrong things. When was the last time you got as mad about somebody being lost and spending eternity separated from a God who loves them and who sent his son to die for them as you did about something Biden or Trump said? When was the last time you lost some sleep over that? When was the last time you had a conversation about that? See, again, we have just kind of lost our way. And so while I'm telling you, you have every right as an American citizen to vote, and you have every right to want your rights, at some point we have to pull back and say, what is our responsibility? And our responsibility as Christ's disciples is to make sure our first priority and our first passion is loving God and loving people. And when those two things con conflict, we have to pull back and love people first, which means if my passion is causing me to hate somebody, if my passion is causing me to be divided from somebody, if my passion is causing me to see in a, with, pre, uh, with, with eyes of prejudice against somebody, I have to pull back, and my call is to love people. And I'm just telling you, love is not the default feeling in our hearts. But with God's help and the help of the Holy Spirit and an intentionality to wake up every day and to say yes to love and to say no to hate and division, come on, we can do it with God's help. We can choose to love all people, to love. Now, I want you to think about this. 
if you're taking notes, we endorse a president every four years with our vote. We endorse a savior every day with our love. So when this, when this election cycle's over, what's really going to matter is how we're living our daily life, how we're loving our neighbor, how we're loving the people around us, how we're loving the people that don't live by us, how we're loving the people that don't look anything like us, how we're loving our neighbor, because at the end of the day, our call is to love people because that's how we're going to influence people, and that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to crowd heaven. I'm not going to crowd heaven by trying to convince somebody that my viewpoint on health care is correct. I'm going to crowd heaven by trying to convince somebody that, lo- their lo- that God's love for them, as demonstrated by my love for them, is what's going to cause them to bend the knee to Jesus. See, you can't hate somebody politically and try to love them with your Christianity. Those two things are in conflict. And so our responsibility is to love all people. Second thing, if you're taking notes, I'm spending a little bit of time here, is to stay unified with all believers. See, because at the end of the day, right, this is, this is our call. As I know in a church this size that a lot of times we come together and you may not even recognize people. You may see people and like out in a restaurant, everybody else does this, and you're like, hey, I know them somewhere. And you're not sure where, maybe afterwards you're like, oh, I've seen them at Faith Church. Like, I don't know their name, but they go to my church. Like, I'm not talking about just the small C church. The small C church is the local place that you hang out, whether it's Lawrenceburg or Florence, or maybe you attend another church. I'm talking about the capital C church. I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is global, that is, that is multilingual, that is all over this nation, of every tribe, of every tongue. There's some Democrats in there. There's some Libertarians in there, some Republicans in there. I'm talking about everybody who has bent a knee to Jesus and said yes to his love. We are a part of the church, and we are called to stay unified as believers. And this world is trying to tear us apart politically because we're taking positions on our passions and right, and our passions are misguided. We need to come back to loving all people, not just those on the outside, but those on the inside. And so here's what the Apostle Paul had to say. I love this. In Ephesians chapter 4, I would encourage you, maybe if you have a Bible, you can check this out. Paul says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. He's saying, come on, I, I know it's not easy. I know you have conflict. I know you're living in a world that's contrary. I know there's tension. He's like, man, if, if, I can just, if I can just beg you, please. I know it's not easy. I know you have all of these political voices and all the news radio and all the feeds popping up and it's scrolling through your social media. I know you have conversations at work. I know in this climate that we live, there's all these things. He's saying, please, please, can I just beg you? Can I plead with you? That as you make decisions of how you're going to live, of what you say yes to and what you say to, can I beg you to say yes to your calling? The calling is our responsibility. Well, what is that responsibility? He says this. He says, I love this. Watch. I want every voice here, Faith Church, Florence, Lawrenceburg, if you're online, I want you to read this out loud. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. No, no, stop. I want to read it again because about three of us read it. If you don't remember anything else I said, I want you to remember what the Apostle Paul said, inspired by the Holy Spirit. If any time this fit, it fits today. Always be humble and patient. 
Be, pay, or be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Here's what he's saying. I don't know if you catch this. He said, I want you, this is as you manage conflict, as you walk through this world, and, and you don't really know if you love that person. You don't know if you can get along with them because they don't believe what you believe, and you don't believe what they believe. Like, how do you line up, especially now, he's talking about us as Christians, as Christ followers together. He's saying, how can you find how can you find unity? How can you be connected when it feels like we're being torn apart? He says you do it with your attitude. It starts in your heart first. It has to do with us having a heart of being humble and gentle and patient. Humble and gentle and patient. Everybody say those words, humble and gentle and patient. Here's why we need to be humble. Are you ready? Because remember I talked about our viewpoint. You need to be humble because your viewpoint isn't the only viewpoint. There are things to see that your eyes, your white eyes, black eyes, rich eyes, poor eyes, blue-collar eyes, white-collar uh, white eyes, Republican eyes, Democrat eyes, Alabama eyes, Ohio eyes, East Coast eyes, West Coast eyes, urban eyes. Come on. What I'm telling you is like your perspective is limited, and you have to be humble enough to admit that I don't know all there is to know. I've not experienced everything there is to experience. Now, I'm just going to get raw up here today because as we've wrestled through this, this has been happening for a long time, and I know it, but over this last year, with the death of so many of our black brothers and sisters, like, I, I'm just struck by it, and I, I don't care what your viewpoint is because we all have different viewpoints, but I've been just trying to wrestle with my, with my own empathy, with my own understanding. When Abad Arbery was killed, I, I'm connected with a, a black pastor friend of mine. We did an online interview, and I just wanted to hear his heart as much from a black man as, as much from a pastor. And we just talked about it for an hour online and wrestled through, and I shared, like, here's what I see, like, but I need to know what do you see. I need to be humble enough that what I see isn't all there is to see. Right. And I, was, I felt like, man, God was working something in me to, to help me as a pastor, to help me as a person, to help me as a Christian to navigate what's happening in our society. About two weeks after that, uh, after that interview, I, I pulled up coming into the office and I got out of the car and this is a, this is a common thing, unfortunately for me, is I saw this person and like I see people all the time and people typically recognize me before I recognize you because you only have to look at one face and I'm looking at hundreds and thousands of faces and so I got out, it helped because this person had pulled into the lot the same time I did. So I got out of the car and I just waved. And I started walking, said, hey, pastor. I was like, oh, they're here. I was like, hey, what's going on? Well, then once I went over to her, I recognized her, at least in the context I've seen her here. And I said, what's going on? And we started having a conversation from the perspective of an older black lady. And she started telling me about her struggles. And I'll never forget standing in that parking lot and I'm trying to wrestle around my own perspective about what I see happening on a national level, what's in the news and how I see it. And she said this and I'll never forget this. And she started crying and she said, Pastor, she said, I get scared to death every time one of my grandkids go out of the house, that they may not make it back. And 
And I can say all I want, like, well, here's why, and here's what the statistics say. Have you read the FBI statistics? And if they would just, and if you would just, and if I would just, and all I could know is, like, right there in, this, in that moment, I was humble enough to say, I've never worried about my kids going out ever. I've never worried about when I have grandkids. I don't think I'd ever worry about them ever going out and getting pulled over by a police officer. But from the perspective of our black brothers and sisters, what has happened in this nation is their perspective is when they have an encounter with law enforcement, it doesn't bring like, I'm going to get a slap on the wrist and walk away. Like this potential encounter could cost me my life. And I need to be humble enough to recognize that even though that's not my viewpoint or perspective, it still matters because it's their perspective and because I love all people. I love what they're going through, and what's going to unite us is when we come together and we're humble about each other's viewpoints. Let's go, somebody. We got to say what I see isn't all there is to see. Now, again, I can tell some of you are like, but, but, Pastor, no, there is no buts. There are no buts. We need to be humble. Watch. I love the other side. We need to be humble because... Our viewpoint isn't the only viewpoint. And we need to be patient because sometimes we might be right. Like you might have all the data and be right, but not everybody, just the same way you don't see what they see, they don't see what you see. And you need to be patient while, while you're communicating maybe your perspective. Be patient before you jump to anger, before you jump to violence, before you jump to rage, before you jump to outrage, before you get there, stop it. Like, if you're here and you're, you don't love Jesus, you can jump to whatever you want to jump to. But as a Christ follower, the first thing we jump to when somebody doesn't understand our position is patience. Is patience. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes there's some things like when I'm trying to teach somebody something, I don't, I'm not really good with patience. My kids stopped coming to me for homework help a long time ago because all we got was a, they got a lecture and we got in a fight. <laughs> Anybody else that way? Like my kids would come and say, Dad, can you help me with this? And I, you know how it is when you understand a certain subject. English, even though I talk for a living, English is not my first class. But math, science, I'm like, don't you see it? You're an idiot. I didn't say that out loud, but I thought it sometimes. <laughs> How can you not see it? I'm going to show you one more time and like find my wife and be like, Steve, just you're damaging our kids more than you're helping them. Just a C in math is not a bad thing, right? Is anybody like, I just, I could see it so clearly and I just wish they could see it and I would lose my patience waiting for them to see what I could see so clearly. And what Paul says is, when you get divided, what's going to divide you is when you don't see what somebody else sees and when they don't see what you see and you stand your ground and you refuse to move. He says, no, the way you answer that tension, the way you address that tension is you need to be humble enough again to see what they don't see or at least believe they see it and be patient enough for someone else to see what you see until they see it. We need to be patient and we need to be humble. Come on, somebody. We need to stop being angry and forcing our views on this world and together be patient. And then he says this. He says, why? He says, always be humble and gentle. The gap, what closes the gap of division is being gentle. Would anybody describe currently what's happening on political platforms as gentle? I'm just, this is going to be the only personal political thing I say. Is this the best two candidates we can come up with? And there's 350 million. I'm going to be honest. I almost threw my name in the hat. <laughs> I was pretty sure I can get three or 4,000 votes in Alabama. Woo! Not enough to be elected. 
is this it? I've seen eight-year-olds on a playground fighting over a toy car get along better than these two clowns. I, sh I shouldn't say clowns, Lord, forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm going to vote for one of them. But after I've cast my vote, I've got to decide to live different. If you're taking notes, our perspective might determine our politics. Again, what you see determines what you believe. Our perspective might determine our politics, but our position should determine our patience. What's our position? My position is that as a person, I need my heavenly father to be patient with me. I need my heavenly father to give me time to catch up. I need my heavenly, come on, is anybody here, like, anybody here thankful that the Bible says that, that God's, God's not angry, he, endu he endures for a thousand generations? Aren't you thankful that he endures for a thousand generations? I'm so thankful for that. And so my position is I'm a person that needs grace. And because I'm in the position of a person that needs grace, it puts us in position for all of us that have received grace to give grace to people who need grace. So gentleness fills the gap. He goes on, he says this, a couple of things. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united just as you have been called. I'm sorry. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. He said, I want you to make every effort because the national, uh, natural default position is for us to get disunified, is for us to pull together. And if we're going to stay unified as the church, if we're going to stay unified as Christ followers, it's going to take some work. It's not going to be easy. It's always going to be challenging. We're going to have hurdles to climb. We're going to have constant voices in our ear. But at the end of the day, if you'll make every effort, please, Paul says, please, make every effort, then we'll stay united because, again, unity is our default position. He gives seven things here. I'm going to cover just five real quick. Here's what he goes on and says, because of these reasons. Here's our call. Here's our reason for unity. He says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. He says, there's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. He says, as people of faith, in the one God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for all of our sin, he says it's all about oneness. It's all about us being connected. And because we're connected to a God who's unified, we as his people should be unified. And he gives seven. I'm going to give you five real quick. He says we're one body. Everybody say one body. We're one body. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. Right? I got hands and fingers and eyes and a nose and legs. And he says all of it, but together, together I make up one body. He says this. He says, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves. Some of us are free. But we've been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same. So he said, like, at the end of the day, we're, what connects us is we're part of one body. We're part of the body of Christ. And I want you to notice, he pulls out, he says, like, even though I know there are Jews and Gentiles, which a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew, there's Jews and Gentiles, there's slaves and there's free. He says, I want, what I want you to know is that your Christianity is more important than your category. We live in a world of categories, don't we? Like, you fill out a form, you have to decide, am I, am I white, black, Asian, Hispanic? Are you male or female, other? 
right? I mean, we have to go through all these categories. We got to check all these boxes and put, put them in a category. I, went, I had to get my license renewed a couple, about maybe six months ago, and I went in, and I had to just recheck all the boxes. The one that was the most painful, I got to lower my weight, but I had to change my hair from blonde to gray. I'm going to be honest. I didn't change it. Actually, the girl who goes here, and I hope you're not here today, she's like, your license says blonde, pastor. You sure you want to stick with that one? Really? Categories. We're all about categories. If you go to a lot of people's uh, uh, profile on social media, they'll have things like this, that I'm a married mother, Republican, Christian, right? And they got all these categories. And I want you to know, while you can be a person of all the categories you want, at the end of the day, being a Christian is not equal with being a mother, a father, white, black, rich, poor, like nurse, doc, like those things are not equal. We are a Christian first and everything else takes second. Being a Christian defines what kind of mom we are, defines what kind of dad we are. Being a Christian defines what kind of Democrat we are, what kind of Republican we are, what kind of Christian we are. Are we a, per- a person who loves all people and we're fighting for the unity of the body. If we are, then sometimes we can't be that kind of Republican, and I can't be that kind of person, and I can't act like that as a nurse, like because who I am as a Christ follower defines who I am everywhere else in my life. We're a part of the body. That's how we operate together. What unites us is not our political views, but our people views. That's what ties us together. You can have all the viewpoints you want, but at the end of the day, what ties us together is how you view me and how I view you. That we together are people who are God's children. We need God's grace, and we're tied together, and we're going to spend eternity together, so let's, let's do it right here so we can enjoy it over there. We're one body. He says we're one spirit. There's one spirit. I don't, I don't know if you know, when the Bible talks about a spirit, it talks about two different things. It talks about an attitude. Like someone has an arrogant spirit. And sometimes, and more times than not, it means a real spirit. Either the Holy Spirit or demonic spirit is inspiring. I was going to say, I think there's some demonic things happening in our politics. And he says, as us, for us as the church, what's going to cause us to be unified is we have to understand we're called to one spirit. We're called to operate underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, Jesus said that he leads and guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. It's the Holy Spirit that tells us what's right and tells us what's wrong. It's the Holy Spirit, not the world, that tells us what to say yes to and what to say no to. And I'm just here to tell you, a lot of us are taking our conviction cues from CNN and Fox News instead of taking our conviction cues from Christ. We're not listening to the Holy Spirit. We're listening to the spirit of politics. And that's why we're getting the wrong passion, and that's why we're Dividing. We need to come back and listen to the one spirit. We have one hope. Come on by say one hope. One hope is that Jesus, he is our living hope, and he's coming back, and he's going to restore this broken creation to what it was intention, uh, originally intended to be. He's going to come back and restore it, which means no man's going to do it. Only Jesus can do it, and my hope is not who I can put in office. It's never about who's in the White House. It's always about who's on the throne. And I'm thankful whether we get to the other side of this, whether it's Trump or Biden, I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is our one hope. He is our one Lord. Come on, everybody say one Lord. What unites us is one Lord. He is the one person that I bend my knee to. I don't bend my knee to politicians. He is the one Lord. He is the one person who has say over my life, over my preferences, over my convictions, over my direction. He is the one who gets to determine that. No other man and no other person. We have one Lord. And if you're taking your cues from anybody else, you have stepped outside of the body. Let's come back and be unified by one Lord. We have one faith. We have a living faith in Jesus. Faith is what you put your hope in to save you. 
And I'm telling you, there is no political position, there is no political platform, there is no politician who can save us. There is only one who can save us, and he already did everything necessary to save us on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. He died for all the sin of all the world, of all the Democrats, all the Republicans, all the Libertarians. Here's what's a crazy idea. Did you know like only those concepts only exist in this nation and only have existed in this nation for a few hundred years? There's been political parties and political positions all over this planet for generations, and Jesus died for all of them, and here we are focused on what's happening right here in 2020 as if that's the most important thing. Jesus said, I'm the most important thing. One body, one faith, one Lord, one hope. He's the only one who saves us. And somehow in all of the chaos, we've lost our way. And we've, we've stood our political ground. And we looked at our neighbor who doesn't agree with our viewpoint, who doesn't see what we see. And if they could just see it, they can just see that Jesus is for it. And if they don't see it, we start to divide and hate. And Jesus says, I need you to come back, and I need you to love everybody. Even if you don't agree with them. Even if you don't see what they see, you got to love them. And for this house, for this house, we're going to stay united. Because that's our call. How many people would be honest enough to say that we need some help with our political viewpoints? Come on. Come on. I'm going to be my hands way up. I can be gaslighted sometimes just like all of you can. I listen to something. I'm like, what? We need the help of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we thank you right now for who you are. I pray in Jesus' name that, again, we would be unified and we would be people who love. I pray where... Any political viewpoint is taking priority over our passion for people, that we would surrender that to you. We would surrender that to you. God, help us to love each other so effectively that this divided world would want to be a part of who we are and what we have in you. Father, we repent of anger. We repent of prejudice. We repent of violence. We repent of living less than love. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen.